This is episode 208, The Mindset Miracle with Dean Dwyer. That's really interesting because mm-hmm. most of us, especially when we're talking about body transformation, we approach it the opposite way. How do I lose weight really fast? And I thought, well, what if I went the opposite way? And like, let's not lose it fast. Let's just lose it. But let's, let's leverage time. Let's, let's leverage time's length. So what if I just show up, I figure out the things that I think will get me results um, and just do, I'll, I'll just focus on today, do those 10, then I'll do it again tomorrow. And now I bundled two days together. Not going to notice anything after two days, but I bundled two days together. You bundle 30 days together and you start to see something. You bundle 60 days together, you start to see more. And so if I could compound, that's, I refer to it as compound consistency. But if I can compound that over time, I think I could do something remarkable. And that's ultimately what I was sort of able to do. So people look at that and they might go, wow, but it's like, yeah, but that's just me showing up every single day doing those 10 things every single day. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and I am your host, as always, getting started with Peter Drucker. Nice little quote here. What gets measured gets managed. Love that quote. Such a great, simple, straight-to-the-point kind of quote. And, you know, the, the thing that it reminds me of is any kind of change that you take on in your life has to be intentionally looked at, you know, whether it's a qualitative measurement or you're, you're making spreadsheets, whatever, you know, you got to use benchmarks. You got to use your mind, engage your mind and take a baseline and then measure your progress. You know, what gets measured gets managed. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So the opposite is also true. And so that's really important because today we're talking about habits. My guest is Dean Dwyer. He's the author of Make Shift Happen, and he's the host of the Successful Body Podcast. Dean is a fitness and mindset expert, and he helps people build successful bodies by teaching them the principles, mindsets, and behaviors he used to lose 40 pounds and achieve 10% body fat at the age of 54. On top of that, he's also an advocate of challenging the conventional notion about aging and challenging conventional wisdom when it no longer works for us. If you want to stay in touch with Dean or check out some of his programs or books, uh, go to thesuccessfulbody.com or check him out on Facebook also as The Successful Body. Today we're talking about habits. It's called the mindset miracle. You know, that's really what it's all about. The mindset is a miracle when you can employ your mind in the pursuit of change. You know, Dean is going to share his story about how he transformed his body in a relatively, I think, relatively short amount of time, you know, and we're going to talk about a lot of things like aging, how to maintain vibrant health, how to create new habits and stick to them, why people fail in maintaining new habits, and what are some of the biggest lessons that he's learned in his work in the fitness space and health space. 
uh, on habits and how to change your body and live a vibrant life. He also shares his successful body protocol and scorecard for success, which is basically his 10 vital habits that are non-negotiable for him every day. Super, super exciting episode. I absolutely love talking about this stuff. Habits make your life. So if this really rings true for you, if you know anybody in your life that is looking to, you know, change their habits, you know, get some new habits, get some good habits, uh, and this is inspiring to you, share it with them. You never know the difference you're going to make for them. Uh, This is going to be some awesome stuff coming your way, guys. Super excited. Let's get into it. The Mindset Miracle with Dean Dwyer. So, you know, on your website, you have a picture. The very first thing people see is this picture of a dude. And then there's like another dude and there, and the difference is pretty huge. <laughs> like one of them is ripped, you know, and then obviously that's you because you, you have a little statement there about how you basically transformed your body at 54. You're 54 right now. I am soon to be 55. Wow. Congrats, man. I mean, like how did, first off, how long did it take you to, to do that transformation between those two pictures on your website? So as of, as of the recording with you and I right now, I'm uh, at day 390. So, um, but I would say that, so I started last year, July, 2019. um, Sorry, July 19th, 2019 is when I started. And I would probably say that by December, I'd gotten to a point where I started to like what I, you know, where I had gotten. So I would probably say that it took me about six months, but then I wasn't sure about like, how do I go about, I believe that I had something and I had have an approach that's different than what a lot of other people are promoting. And I thought, I think there's lots of different ways to get to the promised land, whatever, whatever that thing is that people are trying to do. And so, uh, you know, I thought I I took some time to sort of figure out like, first of all, am I going to be that guy that's posting, you know, a shirtless, video or uh you know you know it's like just lost 10 pounds ask me how (laughs) yeah 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 look at me everyone look at me so i i spent two or three months just thinking about like how do i do this in a way where i can feel good about it knowing that it's it's from a value pay like i want to build out my business in this aspect of my life so i didn't post that until uh i think the end of february early march oh wow but but about six months of um you know of, of work to kind of get to that point and then just working now on sort of not just sustaining it, but sort of what's the next level of this for me in terms of where I want to go with this. What made you, I mean, what, what brought you to the point of wanting to change so drastically? Like what was it for you where you hit, I guess, rock bottom and you're like, you know, this, this needs to change or what motivated you to say, you know what, I need to like take a hard look at my habits or mindset or whatever else. You're asking some good questions, Tudor. So I'm leaning into the mic now. <laughs> um, no, that's a great question, actually. And I, I hit, I, there's a couple things with this. I, I, first of all, I, I hit rock bottom with this a couple of times. It wasn't just sort of one. I've yeah. had moments in the past where I got to the point where I'm like, got to figure this out. Um, I think the different, not I think, the difference for me this time was I, I made a, a realization because over the course of three decades, uh, there were points where I had success 
and you know started building some momentum and without fail the wheels always fell off and and i always ended up right back where i was so i actually made a little bit of a name for myself back in 2011 2012 i was in the paleo space and same sort of thing i i had gotten to the point where i just didn't like how i looked I discovered paleo. I started sort of following the principles. I started making some great progress. I started a website. Uh, they have a, a big um, uh, paleo effects is a big event in Austin. I got invited to speak there and uh, same thing. I, you know, I'm going along, I'm thinking I've got this all figured out and then boom, the wheels fell off. And so this time around the, the big mindset shift for me this time around Tudor was realizing that, um, for me personally, I go as my body goes. And what I realized is that it, that if I don't like how I look, it impacts how I show up in the world in general. Mm. I thought it's the root, like, cause I, and, and again, it's, it's different for everybody, but like, for me, I, I've just always had this vision in my head of what I believed I should look like, because I didn't see this, um, it's, some people think it's a, it's a vanity thing. And obviously vanity does come into play with this, but, but for me, I always saw this. The reason I was frustrated with how I looked was that I see it as a management problem. I didn't know how to manage my own behaviors. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it was just the realization this time around that I thought it impacts how I show up in the world. It impacts the work that I do, um, or, or I'm not doing. Cause I, after I had, I sort of lost all the success that I'd had with the paleo diet, I vanished online. I stopped doing my podcast because for me, my philosophy is solve my own problems and then sell the solution. And I hadn't solved my biggest problem. And so I had nothing to sell. So when you I, said the wheel, the wheel dropped off, was that like physically or financially? Like what happened exactly where you were being, you know, getting results and then suddenly what changed? I uh, just, um, and that was one of the things I did was like looking back at, at my past. So before I started this journey again, I thought, okay, I already know how this is going to play itself out. This, this um, I'm going to go gun hole for two or three months. I'm going to start getting results. And then, you know, and then again, things inevitably seem to go right back to where they once were. And so I sort of went back and I looked at, I thought with every failure that I've had in the past, what's the commonality? Like what's yeah. the, what are the things that are sort of consistent through all of them? And it boiled down to one thing this time around Tudor was the fact that uh, in all of those other cases, I just stopped doing the things that were getting me results that for mm -hmm. some reason that I would start thinking, Oh, I don't need to do this anymore. I've got this all figured out that, um, which is a common approach that I think a lot of us take when we're looking to, in any area of life where we're looking to transform is we do something and then we think, oh, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. I've got it all figured out. And uh, yeah, so that was, that, that was, that's why the wheels fell off in the past was that I, I was doing things, not really sure what I was doing. I was just doing a bunch of stuff. And then I would just stop doing that stuff. And so ultimately over time, you know, anything, you know, any progress I made, it all sort of went back to, sort of where I once was. Why do you think people get so comfortable? You know, I mean, it's like, especially let's say after two or three months of doing something, right? I mean, it, you, you could probably say that if somebody started something and then two weeks later they quit, one reason might be, okay, you didn't have enough time to really set that habit in, right? But let's say you're doing something for two or three months, which presumably is enough to set a habit in, but then that still happens, obviously, and it's something that a lot of people struggle with. So I'm curious, what do you think about that? Like, why do you think that that, that happens? Why do people go back to 
let's say an old habit that wasn't serving them after putting in the time and getting presumably enough time to set a new habit in, like what happens with that? And, and you know, why do, why does that happen to people? That's a great question, actually. And uh, I ho- uh, hopefully, I guess maybe why, why do you think it happened to you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, going to kind of riff out loud at your question right now. And uh, I'll probably have a better answer in a few days because I'm going to think about that one. But, um, you know, I, I, when I, so when I sat down to, to sort of try this again, I spent, I probably spent a couple of months just thinking about my approach before I did anything. Cause I, yeah. like I mentioned to you, I knew, I knew like, if I just do what I always do, that I, I'm, I know where I'm going to be. I know how this ends three or four months from now. So I thought, I don't want this to happen again. Like I need to take a different approach. I need to be thinking differently about this. And I do believe, um, have you ever read the, um, the war of art? The war? No, I've heard about that book. Yeah. It's, Stephen yeah. Pressfield. So he wrote the book for writers, but the book is, a, he's, there's a concept in the book that he refers to, and it's about resistance. It's this idea that when we're trying to do hard things, that essentially, and I'll give you my definition of what he's talking about, but resistance is that voice in our head that's basically trying to talk us out of anything that we're trying to do that will take our life in a much better direction. That those mm-hmm. things are really hard and we, we're constantly battling that voice. I think that that voice, I, I believe that there are underlying, that that force is always at play and that we, once we start having success, like in the past, I got overconfident. Like I thought, okay, I've got this all figured out and now I don't have to do that anymore. Mm. So one of the approaches I took this time around, I stole this idea from Jeff Bezos, which was uh, for me, every day is day one, right? So rather than, you know, he, he takes this approach with Amazon that, that there's a difference between day one and day two. Day one is exciting. It's new. Uh, you know, you, you're completely committed, you're gun ho Day two, it's like, eh, okay. Here I we kinda, go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you're not as enthusiastic. And I really like that approach. And, and, but I do think that we have this voice that is constantly at play, that's trying to derail us. And we find ways to rationalize really, really bad behaviors. And, and that's exactly what I did in the past. As, a, as an example, um, I used to log my foods. And I remember I got to a point where I thought, okay, I know what I'm doing. I don't have to do this anymore. And I thought those are the kinds of things. And that's what that voice does. That voice is sort of always sort of at you saying, hey, you've got this. You, can, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to weigh your foods. You don't have to. It's okay to be comfortable. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for me now, it's sort of recognizing when that voice is trying to sort of hijack my, my thoughts and to mm. keep that at bay and recognize that's always at play. And it's it's constantly looking to undermine you. And I, I don't think we realize um, how it, you know, the kind, like it, 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 it comes up in, in, in many different ways. Like it, it'll like rationalization is, is, is a, is a great tool that it uses where um, you know, again, like we're going to do something and I find a way to justify behavior. And I say like, Oh, you know what? I can eat this because I worked out today, but it's like, yeah, but those two things, they're not, they're, they're not related. Even, yeah, like they, like they, they don't cancel each other out. But, but we, we have these thoughts that convince us, no, no, this is, this is sound thinking. And so that's, that's, that's what it was for me. I, I, would, I would speculate too that I think it's the same for a lot of people. That I, I, think, it, I think we're hardwired to, to take the path of least resistance. And so the moment we get somewhere, we're like, okay, how do I, how do I stop doing this now? And, it's, and for me, this time around, it's like if I'm going to invest in a behavior – I'm investing in it for life. And we don't think mm-hmm. about, 
first of all, we don't think about behaviors in terms of investments. And we don't think like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. If I'm taking sugar out of my diet, I'm not doing it for 30 days. Because if I do it for 30 days, I'm violating the law of cause and effect. When you remove the cause, you remove the effect. I need to, like, if I'm going to do this, I got to do this for the long haul. And so that's, that's been a big difference for me this time around is I am a lot more aware now of, of the stumbling blocks that come along on this journey. I said, it only, it only took me 53 years to figure it out. <laughs> hey, not bad. <laughs> yeah. You're still around. I'm people, a quick learner. <laughs> some people still don't get it even after, you know, a full life. Yeah. So that's, that's good. I do give myself, okay, yeah, you have to learn it at some point. So I, I, I have to, you know, I could easily beat myself up and say, really, it took you that long? But it's like, you know what? Some people, never, as you said, they never learn it. Yeah, but I mean, you're in great shape, man. I mean, you're, it's inspiring because it's, it's, never, it's never too late to make a change in your life. You know, I remember I had a, a friend who, I mean, I still have, she's still my friend, but she has a, a, an art gallery uh, up here in, in this part of town where, where I'm living at. And uh, this art gallery, she hosts these two guys that are these artists. And they're like 80-something, they're like 85. You know, they're wow. literally at the peak of their art career these dudes and they're making these metallic sculptures and paintings. And I mean, it's just wild, you know? And so it's, you know, when you see that, it's like, wow, you know, it, life never stops. It doesn't have to stop. It stops when we decide to, to stop it in a sense, you know, when you think you're getting old or growing old, as you, you said, and you said something interesting. You said, what the difference between there's difference between growing old and getting old. Yes. So why don't you expand on next? I think that's a good, it's a, it's a great topic, especially. When yeah. We're about. Thanks. And, and uh, um, um, make sure I come back to that question. I just wanted to comment on the two guys, and, yeah. which I think is amazing. I love stories like that. And yeah. one of the unintended uh, benefits of my journey that, so for my whole life tutor, I always felt like for the longest time, I was always too young to do things. Like I, I was constantly like, oh, I'm, I'm too young to be whatever, you know, that I can be an expert in this space or that space. And then suddenly I went from being too young. It's like, damn, now I'm too old. Like, <laughs> what happened? Where did that just, you know, I, I did that, that place in your life where you're like, I'm just the perfect age. But I now see that, I see my age now and I, and I, I throw that out intentionally because I realize that that's actually um, a narrative that I really want to start sort of addressing and talking about is this idea that we have this we have this mindset around aging that, you know, and, and I feel like I'm doing things at an age where I know a lot of people think it's too late to change. There's a whole narrative of society about like stuff has to happen. Like if you're going to learn a new language, it's better to do it young because that's when, you know, we're best capable of, you know, learning all these things. And somehow we bought into this notion that like we get to a certain age and I think it's around 35. I think once people get to around 35, they kind of feel like, well, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Yeah. And what I like about my story is that like you, you, you're not going to be able to point at me and say, well, that guy's just got great genetics. It's like I had terrible genetics for 53 years. You can't say I have great genetics and you can't say, well, you know, he's young and you know, like, like I'm doing it at an age when people think you can't do it. And that's one of the, uh, one of the narratives that I want to, I want to start, sort of getting people to challenge. And so, yeah, I started thinking about that, uh, about this whole thing about aging. And I thought there's really two concepts. There's two sides to it. I think there, I think there's, there's growing old and there's getting old. And I think growing old is, is 
for me is, is as I get older, I've got gray hair. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable enough now to kind of let my beard grow up, but like, it's just, you know, I look like Santa Claus once. Hey, people are dying at white now. So, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's in in now. I think, yeah, I think people are more comfortable with it and I'm more comfortable with it now, but um, there are badges of honor that come with growing old. You know, it's, uh, I'm not necessarily reading glasses are a badge of honor, but you know, like there, there's things that happen that there are natural consequence of the, the fact that I've had the great fortune to get to the age that I, that I get to. Like, I think, it, you know, every day it's like, wow, like there's a lot of luck that has to go in for me to get to 54 and then 55 and then 56. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's getting old or sorry, that's growing old. Getting old, I believe the, the difference is, is it happens as a result of neglect. And because we neglect doing things, we deteriorate over time. And I think that's why people fear aging. People fear aging because we see the populations, or the generations that have preceded us, and we go, oh my God, I don't want to get old because look at them, you know, like, like world, the, their worlds become significantly smaller. I uh, wrote a post on Instagram a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a story about Zsa Zsa Gabor, the actress. She passed away at 95. But for the last 10 years of her life, she was bedridden. And when wow. she was 90, she had a, she had a leg amputated. And I thought that's not living like, like she, she lived to 95, but those last 10 years, no one can, no one's going to say, and I'm sure she would have said like, there was no joy in, in being bedridden for 10 years. Right. Wow. That's, and I, I believe that that's, the, that's the result of getting old is that we don't work the things that we should be working now so that we can be 85 and doing art shows and being vibrant and walking and not needing a wheelchair or a cane or, or some other way to get around that we can skew the odds of success in our favor. And so that's, that's the way that I'm approaching that now. And that's how I'm thinking about the behaviors I'm investing in. It's like, I'm, I'm obviously investing for the present, but I'm also investing for the long term. I want to, I want to be doing things that at, in my seventies, eighties and nineties that, that, defy the way we think about aging right now. What do you think ages people the most? Wow, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not I mean, sure. there's a lot um, of things, but yeah, what, do you, I, I what mean, do you think? Well, that's the top of your head. I mean, the first thing that, that, that comes in the head is, 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 is stress. But you know, I, I, you know, I'm sorry. No, actually, you know what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this from a, from a physical standpoint, just in terms of like the ability of like, I think of a body like, um, like, a, like, a, like a jackknife, like a, like a Swiss army knife. Right? It, it, it's supposed to be able to do things. And I think the thing that ages people the most is we don't do anything. Like, again, mm. we get to a certain point, like when we're young, we're active, we play, like everyone's got the same story. Yeah, I used to play sports. I did this, I did that. And it's like, what do you do now? Uh, nothing. I, I work and, uh, you know, they don't walk. They don't do anything. I think the biggest cause of age is the fact that we don't actually do anything with our bodies. And, and that, that's where the whole deterioration over, mm. over time is like, you think about, like, if you imagine in your head what, you know, you're thinking of somebody who's in their 80s and think about how they're walking and how they're moving and they drop their keys. How do you imagine them bending down to pick that up? If they can even bend down and pick it up, right? Yeah. That doesn't happen because they got old. That happened because they don't work flexibility. They don't work mobility. They're not working their strength. That Again, they've got this idea that, um, you know, if I'm in my 50s and I've never worked out before, I can't do pull-ups, that I can't you know, I can't, I, I can't do the splits. I can't do any of these things. It's like not, you can't do them. So you don't actually, it's, it's a, pra- like, you know, we were talking off camera, you know, you've got a dance background. 
you can't, you can't excel at dancing just by saying, I want to be a great dancer. I mean, it requires hours upon hours upon hours of work every single day. It's the same thing with building a body. And so I think that, again, people misunderstand aging because they think that, you know, stuff just, you know, you're either, you either got great genetics or you, or, or you don't. Um, there's a guy that wrote a book, David Sinclair, um, something effective, why we age or, and why we don't have. Oh to yeah. Yeah. I read that uh, life, book. I love that book. Whatever. Yeah. And, uh, why yeah. We age. He was doing uh, an interview and he said that, um, um, uh, DNA only accounts for 20% of who we are and who we become, which means the other 80% is negotiable. That's massive. Like I heard that. And I was like, man, that is a massive insight. But that's not the way most of us think that it's 100%, right? Mm. That this is the way it's going to be. But if you, if you understood that it was negotiable, then how am I going to use that 80%? What am I going to do to ensure that in my 80s, I can walk briskly, that when I drop my keys, like I met a guy at Starbucks before the pandemic. He was 95 and he dropped his keys and he just bent down and he picked them up. Like he was 50. I was like, wow. First of all, I couldn't believe he was 95. He came up and started talking to me. And he just happened to mention his age. I said, what? You're 95? Wow. It was amazing. But yeah. Uh, but I, I, think, uh, I think what accelerates aging the most is the fact that people don't consider it a, a discipline. Like they, they just assume that, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And they're not actually working the things that you know, it's, it's crazy. I, uh, I used to work at some of these, I mean, Arizona has a huge retiree population and I used to work at some of these, uh, like, you know, retirement centers with, with the seniors and stuff several years ago and do classes there and for the dancing and man, I'll tell you what, you're, you're right on point because, and I never thought of it that way too. I mean, especially, you know, with all the different things we study about the body and aging and, you know, different things toxins and you know free radicals all the stuff but movement is such a big part you know because i remember seeing some of those ladies especially i mean the men usually would be the ones to to see the aging decline uh, sooner because they didn't do any like yoga or any of these kind of group efforts the women were more open to that and yeah. so, uh you know I would see some of these ladies in their nineties and they're super flexible or they're dancing. The cognition was a big one. The cognitive functions were huge with movement. Uh, you know, people that didn't move were just, their eyes were glazed over. I mean, we'd go to the dances and stuff and then you see the guys were just kind of duds. It was really sad. You know, they're in the seventies already and they're just duds. And then you see some of the ladies there were like 80, 90 and they were fine because they were doing a lot of movement. Uh, and it, there is a lot of science behind that with, with the cognitive relation especially to movement i was just thinking as you're telling that story that a friend of mine uh her grandmother is 92 uh early early 90s but also like completely mentally sharp um she's declined a little bit because she's had a few health problems just of of late but before that she, she danced she'd go out dancing all the time oh, yeah. I, women are a lot more open to to these ideas than men are men i think we're stuck in this sort of like this machismo mindset that has gone on for generations that you know i don't need to do that stuff or that's for women or whatever it happens to be and it's like yeah, you can see, you, you, I, I think there's a new generation coming in that are more open to these ideas and, and recognizing that I don't need to, um, you know, generations previous are not, you know, are not going to determine who I become in, in my future. 
do you follow any anti-aging movements? Any protocols? Not, not really. Um, just good diet and exercise, pretty much. Yeah, I, I said I just. Um, um, the other thing I did on this on this journey was I thought I'm going to stop. Like I, you know, I was I was paleo for a while. I, I I played around with keto for a while, and I thought, you know what? Stop defining. Like stop sort of taking everybody else's protocols and trying to force fit them into, into me. Like, let's, yeah. so I, I basically kind of got rid of everything and I thought, let's start from scratch. And so my, my philosophy is to design for my DNA is like, mm. I'm going to latch onto an idea that I think sounds really great. I don't care if the science says it works or doesn't work. Like, you know, I mentioned the David St. Clair thing, right? People would argue and say, well, you know, is it like, is DNA really 20% or not? That, that makes sense to me. And it, it ties in with, my mindset and the way I see things. So I'm going to latch onto that idea. And that means I got control over 80% of what's going to happen. So I'm going to utilize that to my advantage. Um, so that's kind of the way that I approach all this stuff. Same thing with the aging thing is I'm not really, it's not so much, not so much about anti-aging per se, as it is um, aging vibrantly, you know, as I want to, I just want to take an approach in life where, where people would look and say, oh, holy cow, like that guy's, 55 or 65 or 75 and look what he's doing and hopefully that would get people to sort of stop and maybe think hmm you know what maybe i'm not going about this right maybe there is hope for me and that there are possibilities here if i can change the way i think about this that i that i have more control over what's happening regardless of what age i'm at you know it's an interesting time we we live in right now especially with this whole topic of aging and anti-aging and especially with you know like the books like uh by Dr. Sinclair where i mean presumably in the next next 10 20 years you know there there may be some innovations that extend our lifespan in some way whether it's you know uh, robots nano machines supplements all kinds of different things so my question is if you had the chance to live to be 150 or even let's say live to be 200, 300 forever, whatever, would you, would that be something like some people, you know, cause I talk to, I talk about this with my friends when we get on the topic of anti-aging and they're like, Oh, pff, I wouldn't want to live forever. I'm like, why not <laughs> think about all the stuff that you would get to see? I mean, I would love to travel space if, if I could live long enough to where, you know, the, space travel was feasible. It was, it's not like it is now where you have to spend right. a year and a half to go to the moon or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I watched Star Trek as a kid. I mean, that stuff was fascinating to me. So the, the idea of living longer and having health span, which is what you talked about with that uh, actress who was on a deathbed, having a healthy, healthy life, not just a long life. That's really important because it allows you to enjoy more of what's, what's out there. I mean, so what's your take on that? Would you, would you want to live 150, 200, if you had the chance to live forever, would you do it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, I like life. I actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. I love life. Like I love, yeah. I love people. I love this journey of, of trying to unravel the mystery that is me. Yeah. Um, I love all that. And I, you know, I, I think that people, sorry, and I, I'm speaking on their behalf. And so they'll, they'll, they'll have to defend themselves. But I think for a lot of people, they don't want to live longer because they think of aging in its current in its current state. It's yeah. like, why would I want to be 150 if I'm bedridden for 30 of those years, or I have exactly. Alzheimer's, or the, whatever it happens to be, right? So, um, but the other thing that I'm doing is I'm looking to skew the odds of aging success in my favor, so that 
when breakthroughs come, and they are coming, like the, like in the next decade or two, we're going to see some amazing breakthroughs in in, in aging and, 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 you know, life extension and those sorts of things. I want to be as healthy as possible so that I can take advantage of those if they're around. And I said yeah. with the idea that, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about, uh, are you familiar with Dan Sullivan? Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, he... I remember he talked about this one time. I think his goal is to live to 150 or whatever. And he started putting that out to people. And I was like, wow, what an interesting concept. So I think right now, I mean, the way I'm thinking about it, I'm in the, the, the second third of my life. So I just, I just finished the first third. I'm now in my second third. And if you yeah. do the math, it's like, oh, this guy, this idiot thinks he's going to live to 150. Um, but, you know, I'm just, again, awesome, I'm all I, <laughs> All I'm trying to do is skew the odds of success in my favor so that uh, when these breakthroughs uh, do come around, that if they make sense, I, I can take advantage of them. And I'm, I'm, it's not too late or, or, you know, whatever damage I've done through neglect is, is irreversible, that I can, I can actually take advantage of those things. So I would definitely, absolutely, that's, that's part of why I'm doing what I'm doing now is that I, I, I'd like to take advantage of those if and when they come along. Do you have any fears about aging, I guess, or growing old? Uh, not, not right now. I, I, I kind of, um, I actually like aging um, because I'm a little smarter than I was, <laughs> you know, in my 40s, 30s, 20s. I'll say the same thing when I'm in my 60s. But the thing that I, what I like now about aging is that I'm at a point where the question I want to answer is like, why do I do what I do? Like, why do I react emotionally or irrationally to this or that? Or like, like again, this journey about like, why do I have success? And then why do the wheels fall off? And so like part of my success this time around, as I said, today is day 390 on this journey. Um, so, you know, I'm into my second year now and, and, but it's because I'm asking different questions and I am now, rather than defending my actions from the past, where I say, well, this is why I did that. Now it's like, no, why do I do that? Like, it, this, this doesn't serve me long-term. So, and I find that that's the benefit of aging is that I am more open to the wisdom that's out there and trying to begin applying it to my life. So I'm, I'm excited about the concept of getting old. Mm. Yeah, I'm always fascinated about how important our physical body is for our spiritual development, especially coming from movement, uh, from a movement background. We were talking about this before we started recording, but you know, it's like you look at all these old spiritual disciplines of like yoga or Tai Chi, karate, whatever. And they all had the spiritual practice and the lessons and different things, but it was all also connected to the physical practice. They weren't like people didn't go, I remember talking to Brock, you know, our common friend and yes, I never thought about this, but like people never went to the gym to go work out, you know, until like 50 years ago, <laughs> like yeah. you, didn't, you didn't like exercise. Wasn't this separate thing that you had to do as a, as an item on your to-do list. It was just a natural part of life. Okay. I'm going to go to the store and then do some yard work or, you know, work on the farm or whatever else, you know, and the same thing is with like these movement practices and how, you know, the discipline movement, technical movement, skill, sensitivity, all these different things allowed for spiritual lessons to, uh, you know, to, to kind of happen. And same thing with, with getting 
you know, growing old and, and maturing through the body, it kind of gives you different lessons internally. It shapes the internal environment, you know? So well, been- I would say absolutely, Tudor. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I am, a, I, I show up in the world differently now because of, of, of the body that I have created for myself. Like they, they're, they're linked and I'm more open now to understanding the mental, emotional, spiritual side of this as well too, that you can't, you can't ignore those things. They're not separate that they should yeah. all be, you know, it, this is about, um, you know, yeah. Like we, 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 everything in life is, is sort of, uh, is segmented, right? Like, like, again, like the idea of working out, like you go to the gym, like I don't do any of that. Any, I got rid of all that stuff. I thought I got rid of yeah. all the resistance that comes with that. Is that like, how do I build a body that I, that I like just living my life? You know, I don't change into gym clothes. I, you know, I'm not doing these extreme workouts or anything like that. The way that I approach this now, and this is sort of part of my, my emotional and spiritual growth, but uh, is to be 911. Is that like, how do I train in such a way where I could actually save my own life in an emergency, like whether, mm. or someone else's and, and just using my environment. Like if I, I always say like, if I'm in a Turkish prison cell and I don't know why I'd be there, but if I'm there, like, what would I, like, how would I, how would I train my body to, to, uh, you know, to, again, think of it like a utility knife, like it can actually do things, mm. you know, what kind of, of, of exercises do I want to invest in? So it changes the way I think about this too. It's not just doing stuff. That's what I just did stuff in the past. I go to the gym, I'd ride the bike. I couldn't imagine like sitting on a stationary bike, which I used to do. I would do like 45 minutes. I remember there's a point when I was doing it twice a day. It's like, my God, like mind numbing, just boring, just without yeah. purpose. There's no purpose to, to that type of movement. <laughs> it, it, like, exactly. It doesn't, it's like, that's what I would say to people now. It's like, what, what does that allow you to do? Like, what is that? How does that, you know, other than weight loss, it's like really, like, I said, the trade-off for me isn't worth it anymore. But again, yeah. like I, I walk, you know, talked about doing slower activities. Um, you know, I walk uh, a lot of, I, I don't do cardio. Uh, but I do walk and I walk, you know, the goal is, is 10,000 steps a day and just being out and walking is such a, yeah. again, we, we, uh, especially I know guys would be like, well, walking, come on, give me like, you know, sprints or I don't know. It's, they want something extreme, which I totally get. Cause I, I'm a, I was an extreme junkie in the past. I've had to kind of break myself of that, but walking is not just a great physical activity, but the, the, it's an intellectual pursuit. Yeah. It's a, it's a spiritual pursuit. It's almost a, a form of meditation in and of itself. Yeah. And, and so it's um, been, uh, it's been an, yeah, I said, and this is, this is where I feel like I'm open to these now as a result of, of being older, where my younger mm. stuff, I would have dismissed again, like walking, it'd be, it wasn't sexy enough. It wasn't yeah. extreme enough. Like I need to be dripping sweat. Like I would invest in these programs where it's like, if I wasn't dripping in sweat, then it wasn't working. Now I'm proud of the fact to say that I don't sweat at all ever when I'm doing these things. Like I'm not, that's not true. I think on two occasions I, I, I did work up a sweat, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to, not to be soaked. It's just like, you know, just do things within the context of my day so that, you know, my, my overall quality of my life improves. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more about finding a purpose and finding a, an emotional why, why you're doing it rather than trying to hit the numbers and, and hit the categories. I mean, it's so easy to fall into that, especially if with athletic pursuits, it's like, it's like anything else, you know, your calorie counting or you're, you're worrying about how many, 
reps you did, but really like, is there any purpose to your movement? Are you actually enjoying it? You know, is your movement mindful? Are you developing your sensitivity? Are you developing some new level of technique rather than just mindlessly moving, you know, between, between repetitions? I mean, I think that so many people are, are obsessed with the, the idea of reps and counting and this, like that they forget the actual benefit of movement, which is pleasure, mindfulness, sensitivity, technique. The whole point of learning to move is to learn to move well. <laughs> you know, I don't know. In my mind, at least, you know, is to have some sort of technique about what you're doing, just so you can enjoy what you're doing more and have those uh, spiritual lessons. You know? Yeah, well, I, I was gonna say and to add to that too. Yeah, that like I want I, I want my body to be able to do things. Like I want to be able yeah. to say like Wow, like like you know like I can. Um, so one of the things I started doing early on, and I started doing them because I I didn't like doing them. I was turned out that was pull ups, but because I thought you know like I want to be able to pull my own body weight, but I always yeah. avoided it because um, I could do two or three, and they were ugly. I mean, I was making noises nobody should make when you're doing those sorts of things. But the way that I think about that now is like, it's, it's a great movement because there's an, an evolution to what I can do with this. And I'm years away from being able to do this yet, but ultimately it'll be rope climbing where I will be able to, you know, because I'm pulling myself up essentially with one, you know, one hand each time I'm going up but being able to pull myself up on a rope. Now I'm years away from doing that yet, but I'm excited about the idea that I'm investing in an activity, not to say, Oh, I need to, I mean, I do count my reps when I'm doing them, yeah. but I don't. Some, some days I, I can do my set of 10 pull-ups. Some days I can only do eight. And it's like, oh, well, they're more a reference than they are some sort of absolute goal that you have to hit all the time. Yeah, like I, I, I want to be able to know what, you know, approximately what I can do. And I do yeah. shoot for those things. The difference now is my 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 self-worth and self-esteem is not tied exactly. into the fact like, oh my God, I didn't get my numbers. Like, yeah, I just didn't have it today. But, uh, you know, again, focusing on movement, focusing on form uh, and understanding where I'm going with all this stuff too. So investing in activities where it's like, where you know, where could this take me down the road in terms of what I'm able to do with my, you know, with my body? You have a successful body protocol, right? With, with some of this 10 habits, I believe that you write about that you kind of are non-negotiable for you. Yes. What you want to talk about that a little bit? Cause I, I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And this has been a, a fundamental, uh, by the way, people can hear that noise in the background. I, I'm not going to the washroom. I'm pouring my coffee. It sounds like I'm going for a pee, but <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I alluded earlier to that I thought, okay, like if, if I'm going to have success this time around, I have to take a completely different approach. And so in the past, I was, I always sort of gravitated to extreme solutions, doing lots of things and just, just random stuff. I didn't even know what I was doing. You know, I, when I think back, I said, you know, uh, back in 2011, when I had success in, uh, in the paleo space. I don't really remember what I was doing. I was just doing stuff. So I thought that's not a good sign that essentially if you and I went out for coffee and you slid a napkin over and said, write down, what's your scorecard for success? What do you do in this area of your life that allows you to, you know, to succeed that I should be able to write them out on a napkin and pass them back. And most people have no idea what they're doing. They're just doing a bunch Mm. of stuff and they couldn't even tell you what they're doing. And if I said like only write down the things that you've done for at least the last year, most people would have a list of nothing because we don't stick to anything that long. We don't think about behaviors that way. So my approach this time was like, what are, 
I'm always looking at vital behaviors. I don't want to do a lot of things. I just want to do a few things that generate, give me the biggest bang for my buck. And it, it's sort of, um, I'm stealing from Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, his investment philosophies, they don't invest in a ton of companies. They invest in a few great companies and they invest in them. The goal is to hold them for a lifetime. That's their goal. And I thought, well, why don't I take the same approach to behaviors? Find out what the mm-hmm. best behaviors are and invest in those. And so um, it's funny. I was on another. I was on another podcast. I rewrite these every day, and then as soon as somebody asks me to to recite them, I forget what they are. Um, but um, so I, I've yeah. There's a, there's there's. I have ten. I have ten that I call my ten vital behaviors. That I that I, there are others that I do, but I mentioned one earlier. One of them is walking 10,000 steps every day. Um, I do something else that I call 10-minute body, which is, so that's the other thing with this is that a lot of people, I just realized I put my glasses up. I can't see, I can't see at all. <laughs> um, so 10-minute body is, is uh, again, is literally I do 10 minutes of exercise a day. And, it's, and, and I, I call the 10-minute body to keep me from, uh, defaulting to extreme solutions, which again is my, is the way that I have been hardwired in the past. So I've been unlearning that behavior, but it's like, I don't want to do, I don't want to spend all day. I realized I I didn't actually enjoy working out. You know, the idea of going to a gym, spending, you know, people say it's an hour. It's actually not an hour. It's about two hours because you got to get there. You got to park, you got to change, got to shower. Like you're thinking about it all day. Am I going? Am I not going? I I don't want any of that. So I just work it out throughout the course of my day, wherever I'm at with whatever equipment I have, I have equipment, I use it. If not, I've designed something that works on my worst day so that if I don't have anything at all, I don't have any time and I'm in an airport or whatever, I can still do whatever it is that I want to do. Um, so uh, here, I'll just, I'll just rhyme through my 10. Uh, number one is I took out anything that essentially causes cancers, uh, contagions, fatal conditions. So I've taken out sugar, flour, and alcohol, although I got a little asterisk behind alcohol because I do have it from time to time. Um, but, you know, I'm not having it on a, on a regular basis. Two is uh, I have three meals, no snacking. So I three big meals and then that's it. I have a meal framework that I follow for every, for every meal that I have. So I'm not following a diet. I have uh, principles, sort of a, basically. Yeah. And I just, you know, there are certain foods that, you know, proteins and veggies and stuff like that. So I just make sure that I, I follow my framework. What the framework allows me to do is it gives me the flexibility that if I'm out at a restaurant, then I figure out how to eat according to my framework. I'm not stuck with like, Oh my God, I, I, I have to eat this way or I can only have this. Um, I collect food data. So there's things like I take a, I take a picture of every meal that I, um, that I have so that I can, I can reference it later, but, but also a sort of, helps me develop what I'm calling sort of the culinary arts. I've never been somebody who has enjoyed cooking or uh, any of those sorts of things. And I realized I need to fall in love with that. That's a big part of what I'm doing. I was always doing it anyhow, but it's like, how do you fall in love with behaviors like that? And I'm really enjoying it now. Like I'm actually taking time to plate my meals properly. Like I move foods around. It's like, who am I? What has happened? Um, I, um, I, I, I plan tomorrow's menu today. So I don't just show up cold and open the fridge and go, what am I going to have today? I already know what I'm eating tomorrow so that I can make, you know, I either shop to make sure I've got what I need or I take foods out of the freezer the night before. Um, I weigh myself every day. 
I have 10 minute body, 10,000 steps, I hydrate, and then I have a spreadsheet I create for myself where I keep score and then I extract wisdom. So based on the things that I'm doing, it's like, what are the lessons I can learn that I can apply to tomorrow? And I, and these 10 things, I said, there's, I do more than 10 things, but these are the 10 that I do uh, every single day without fail. And my job was simply to show up. I call it my scorecard for success. My job is to do my scorecard every single day and that's it. And so, and, and it's as simple as I do these 10 things and I do them every single day. And the philosophy is, it's an idea, again, I stole from Buffett, but Buffett said that the best thing about time is its length. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting Mm because most of us, especially when we're talking about body transformation, we approach it the opposite way. How do I lose weight really fast? And I thought, well, what if I went the opposite way? And like, let's not lose it fast. Let's just lose it. But let's, let's leverage time. Let's, let's leverage time's length. So what if I just show up, I figure out the things that I think will get me results um, and just do, I'll, I'll just focus on today, do those 10, then I'll do it again tomorrow. And now I bundled two days together. I'm not going to notice anything after two days, but I bundled two days together. You bundle 30 days together and you start to see something. You bundle 60 days together, you start to see more. And so if I could compound, that's, I refer to it as compound consistency. But if I can compound that over time, I think I could do something remarkable. And that's ultimately what I was sort of able to do. So people look at that and they might go, wow, but it's like, yeah, but that's just me showing up every single day doing those 10 things every single day. Nothing sexy about it, um, you know, but just doing those 10 things. Yeah, I love that. So many golden nuggets. I love the compound consistency. That's what it's all about. It's just yeah. That was my I I, I can't yeah. That was good. a Dean Dwyer original. Woo. <laughs> you got to trademark that man. I mean, I <laughs> uh, I'm not well known enough yet, people to steal it. But I hope people yeah. start. So I, it's a um, um, consistency is not sexy for people. People dismiss consistency. People yeah. talk about it. Say consistency is really important. It's like yeah, but what does that actually look like? What does that mean? And um, but I think consistency is the most well actually. Jim Collins had this great quote uh, in, uh, I think it was either great by choice or good to great, but he said that um, great companies struggle not because they're resistant to change, but because they're chronically inconsistent. Mm. And that was just one of those, like, I went, I went, that's exactly why I struggle. Like I would do things in the past and then I stopped doing them. And I thought, well, what if you just stop doing them? Like, like, start doing them and don't stop just like what would happen if I started compounding days together. And which is why also I said, keep score and extract wisdom. I track the day. Like I said, every day when I write in my journal, like today it's day 390, it's day one of 390. And so again, like, like just show up, do the same 10 things, the 10 things tweaked over the, obviously have evolved a little bit, but just do the same 10 things today that I did yesterday. And then on day 391, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do that again. And if I just keep compounding that, I think I could do something, as I said, something I think spectacular things could happen. doesn't sound sexy, but consistency is, is one of the most powerful things that I do. What do you, you know, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges that you face to your current habits? Especially, I mean, you've done, you've now been doing it for over, over a year. Have you found anything recently that's, it's really given you a challenge to everything you believe in right now with, with everything we've talked about. Um, or is it pretty smooth sailing or is it pretty smooth sailing? (laughs) 
No, actually, you know what? That's a great question. And it's funny because um, I was just thinking about this uh, and I wanted to post something on this uh, sometime over the next couple of weeks. But I think one of the the mistakes that people might make is that they look, when I, they hear me talk or they see the things I post, they think, oh, he's, he's, this is so easy for him. Um, and most of the things on my list, I, I put the, like, they have to be achievable. Like they can't be something where, like if there's a tremendous amount of resistance where I'm thinking like, oh my God, like I have to do all these things. It's like, that, it's, that's not going to happen. So I, I really try to sort of figure out, I, the way that I think about things now is like, what's the minimum viable threshold that I need to achieve in order to get results? So I'm always looking to do the minimum rather than the maximum. But the thing that I actually struggle with is, um, and I struggle a lot with this, and I've been on and off over the course of the 390 days, is the three meals, no snacking. I have no problem. I eat my three meals during the day. I do not snack in between. My challenge is that I'm a night, sorry, I have to be careful of, uh, of, of the language that I use. Uh, in my past, I was a night eater. So, and when I say night eater, meaning I go to bed, I wake up and then I eat. I've been doing oh, that. Wow. For, yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that for years. You would wake yeah. up hungry. <laughs> well, I, I think I've conditioned myself to um, when I can't sleep or I feel like I'm having difficulty sleeping is I eat. I have something to eat. Interesting. You know, so it, it may not be like a full blown meal, but you know, I'll have, nuts or, or, you know, cause that's happened to me too. I mean, I've woken up not a lot, but sometimes I've woken up just like starving and I've had to eat something just to, yeah. Get- yeah. And I think there's a difference between that. I think for me, I've just, it, so I'll sort of talk about why this has been a struggle for me. I think I've not, I think, so I've been doing this for years. And so when I started, I thought, okay, I need to just like do the three meals and then that has to be it. And that was challenging. And then I, I got about a hundred days under my belt where I went a hundred and plus days without uh, eating at night. And then somehow I convinced myself, and this is where I said this voice of resistance comes in, where I started playing around with adding an additional meal a little bit later. And I say meal was more of a snack a little bit later, but that kind of led to me. I started eating at night again. And then for the last five or six months, um, that has been, for the most part, I've been eating something at night. In fact, a couple of we- or, uh, last week, I, I got up twice and I ate two times. Um, for me, I think it's more, I've convinced, I've created this mindset that if I eat, it will help me sleep. Mm. And so that's the mindset that I have to break. And so that's the thing that I'm working on right now. So I have put a new protocol in place for myself. Um, and I'm only in I, three days right now. So, so tonight was the third night. But I got to say, last night was actually, I, will, I didn't sleep well. I woke up multiple times, desperately wanted to eat something. But I didn't. But I, I didn't. I thought the challenge is I got to get through. The first week is always the toughest for me yeah. to get through. And then what I want to do is I want, right now I'm just taking it one day at a time. My goal is I just got my third day. Now I want to get four days in a row. And then I want to get five. Once I get to a week, then my new goal or my new milestone is going to be, okay, let's get to 30 days. And then, but this time around, I want to get to the point where I don't go back like I did before where I did. I can never think like I, I always get myself in trouble, Tudor, because I think I got this all figured out. And the moment that I start thinking that way, 
it's like I'm doomed. That's when it that's, unravels. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's why I keep writing day one of 390. Because if I think it's day two, it's like I get overconfident. Mm. Like, yep. I've got this all figured out. And it's like, like you know, we, we were chatting earlier about habits. And I think the misunderstand, I think the thing that people misunderstand with habits is that, you know, people say, you know, it takes on average about 66 days to adopt a new habit. The truth is you can adopt a habit in an instant, but you can also end it in an instant. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. I went a hundred days, hundred days, hundred plus days of not eating at night. And you would think, oh, he's got that. Look, in an instant, I figured out a way to short circuit myself mm-hmm. and suddenly it, it crept back in again. So that one is without question is my biggest, is my biggest challenge. But the difference for me now is I don't, I keep, I'm keeping my failure in the past, which is like, so, you know, three days ago I ate at night and it's like, I don't beat myself up over that anymore. It's like, okay, what's a protocol I can put in place. So as an example, so last night before I went to, so there's three things I'm doing right now to try and, and cure this permanently. The first thing is um, I did a post on this on Instagram the other day. I call it body language, but not body language as in uh, how I speak about my body. So when I went to bed last night, I literally said out loud, I don't eat at night. I'm not a night eater, but I say it with conviction. Like, like, like that's my new mindset. I don't eat at night. I don't eat at night. So I repeat that a few times. And then every time I woke up, I was in the kitchen a couple of times. I had watermelon in my hand. I don't eat at night, you know, put it back, put it in the fridge, back to bed. Um, number two is I have water out so that, you know, if sometimes we mistake hunger for hydration. So I thought if I'm hungry. I'll just, I'll have water. And then the third thing is, and I can do this right now, uh, and it works as a male, but um, if uh, I'll go out, the house that I live in is on a corner. So I just get out, I walk around the house, front of the house, side of the house, come through the backyard, come back in the house. It's a two minute walk, but sometimes I find that just going outside, it helps. Now, again, mm. I can do that as a guy in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, it's not, not an issue. That's not something I recommend for people, but those are the three protocols I put in place to help me work through that. And then like today, after we're done the call, I got a journal about, you know, last night was a real struggle and I'm not particularly sure why it was, but that's my job is to figure out like, why was that so hard last night and take the successes away? It was really hard. I said, like, I probably woke up about five times, but I didn't eat. And it's like, that's a huge success, but it's like, okay, why was it so hard though? Like what, like, is it, could I be eating, you know, was it the timing of my last meal? Could I put more of something in that last meal that might help? You know, what, like, you know, trying to figure out what that is. Hmm. Now it's really crazy, especially with those hardwired behaviors that are, I feel like some habits, like you can train new habits, obviously, but I feel like some habits you don't necessarily get rid of them. You just put a new habit on top of it. And as long as you keep that current habit, because that other one under it is always like itching to <laughs> come out again. <laughs> it feels that way with some habits. You know, like, some, like you said, it's so easy to relapse with certain things that have been hardwired. Like I, I'm the same way, actually. I mean, I used to love, one of my favorite things to do is just gorge myself and then go to sleep. That was like my, my yeah. nervous system associated that feeling to, okay, now I can sleep, which is totally bonkers. You shouldn't do that for, for health for many reasons, but I associate that for, for many years. And it's like, man, it's so easy, especially like now I eat also about three or four meals a day, but I usually try to eat the last meal 
like four hours before I go to bed, ideally. So generally speaking, by the time you go to bed, you're going to be a little teeny bit hungry, you yes. know, and if you haven't trained yourself or whatever, like you said, kind of rewired that brain, you're thinking about food, you're, you know, it's just crazy how all these things come back and it's just one little slip up to get that comfort, to get that immediate, you know, response that the brain is so hardwired for. Uh, it totally undoes, you know, everything. But I like how you said you leave the failure in the past though too, because I think that's important is kind of forgiving yourself and, uh, you know, not chastising the changes, the change, it happened, whatever, like the changes happen all the time. As long as you stay focused on, on the future and on your vision and on your, on your goals, uh, you know, then, then you'll be more productive. I think a lot of the, a lot of the damage is done also when we, when we judge ourselves from a failure. I'm sure you can agree with that. It's like, you know, it's like when you fail, okay, you failed, but then you make it worse by focusing on that failure and saying, you know, ah, I hate myself or, you know, I used to, uh, I used to have this saying where I said, you know, nobody is harder on me than me. And I used to take that as a badge of honor. And I realized now that I was incredibly, unfair to myself and you you alluded earlier to this journey being you know it's a it's a spiritual journey as well too and i thought like there's no like that's that's not that's not a badge of honor to say that i'm harder on myself than i would be on other people that's ridiculous like that's not the way it should be and so it's yeah i'm trying to find a better metaphor and a better way to teach that concept because i know everybody you know talks about failure and you know and it doesn't mean anything or it's whatever it is but it's like but it, it is this mental, emotional, psychological block that we just can't get past, myself included. And it's like, how do you learn to kind of, to leave it where it is, but just take the lesson and carry the lesson forward into my future and leave the past right where it is, you know, like it, it, it's sort of, it happened there, just leave it there, but just take the lesson with me. And so I'm, that, I'm trying to find a better way to help people sort of think about that. But you, you alluded to something I thought's really important, I think, for people who are your audience listening to this, is that, yeah, this myth that habit, old habits don't go away. I think we, as you were talking, I thought probably a good metaphor to think about is like, we put it in storage, right? But it, and we just, it's just sitting in a room in a box that, that is off to the side, but it's there. Yeah. And it's just looking, it's looking, it's waiting for you to just crack the box open just a little bit so it can get its elbow or its foot in there and come back out again. And it, it's yeah. always looking for that opportunity. If you understand that, you realize that, because you see this with smokers, right? I've known people who've quit smoking for years and then suddenly they start smoking again. It's like, how, yep. how would that happen? It's always there. It's, uh, I, I think James Clear talked about it in this in his book. Atomic uh, Habits. Atomic Habits. But the yeah. idea... I heard it somewhere, but it's like, think of it like a path, you know, it's a path that's been overgrown, but you can see evidence of the path Mm -hmm. and it's always there. It's just, it's just overgrown. You can't see it anymore, but it's there. That's the same thing with bad habits. They don't go away, but you overwrite them or you, you have others that sort of push them to the back and they have a voice. My job now is to keep that voice to be just a whisper rather than yelling and screaming at me. You know, I had a, an interesting life lesson actually yesterday, last night I was on my bike riding at night and usually I always get all kinds of crazy ideas. It's just like walking for me. And I, I realized like one thing about failure is self-worth, you know, like there's this, there's this feeling that we have that we don't deserve 
whatever, uh, the goodness of life or, you know, uh, any kind of thing that we want. And ultimately when failure happens, it's, it's sort of like a confirmation of our lack of self-worth. Like if you believe, for example, that, you know, you don't deserve to be healthy. That might be a limiting belief. You don't deserve to have a, an amazing body every day because you're so hard on yourself or whatever. And then, you know, you lose some sleep one night or you, you gain some weight, you know, that just confirms your biggest fear, you know, that you're not worthy of, of success. And so it's like, I think the hardest part with failure and making it, like you said, a tool to learn from seems to be one of them, at least in part to, to address self-worth you know, to, to see why, why do we hang on to these failures and see, you know, only the, the negative rather than, than seeing them for the tools that they are really. Cause failure is really just data. It's not really, doesn't mean anything. It's just data. It's like, Oh, okay. The market went down or my health went down. I lost two hours of sleep instead of, you know, got three, whatever. It's all just data, but we, we definitely take it. I mean, especially in my case, I've noticed that self-worth was a big one, just kind of operating with more forgiveness acceptance like you said you know i like that mantra too which is oh i'm harder on myself than others it's like yeah we we wear that as such a badge of honor today you know it's like yeah. hell yeah i'm you know i'm way tougher on myself it's like why should that be a thing like you're already going to criticize yourself all the time like why should that be something to be proud of you know that's interesting so you, you, I, I thought you hit on a really great idea there when you talked about limiting beliefs. And I, I, I think that we have, yeah, we have these false beliefs, these false narratives that we have unknowingly bought into. And I think I said, part of what I like about aging now is that I'm exploring those like, like that. And that was one of them, right? Like this idea that I'm harder on myself than anybody else could be. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. I wouldn't say uh, like the things I say in my head to me when I mess up, it's like, I would never say that to somebody. Yeah. Why do I think it's okay to say that to me, right? And so mm. it really, um, uh, and your, your concept too about self-worth is, is, first of all, guys never talk about this kind of stuff, right? This is stuff that, this is why women are so much more evolved than we are because they're willing to be open about these things. But, but, but this is an issue for guys too. But this was also my, my thing with, you know, what I called building a successful body, Um was the fact that it did impact, it impacted how I showed up in the world. Like my self-worth was like, if I didn't like how I looked, you know, I could tuck that away in a box in the back, but it still has an impact on my behaviors. Like, yeah. you know, in terms of how I carry myself and how I, the confidence level that I have, like there, I, I and I could see it. I remember the first day where I, I think I was walking, this is pre-pandemic, I was walking to Starbucks and things had I had bundled enough days together now where I was seeing significant change and I was walking and I was like, wow, I could feel it in how I was walking. And when I walk into the store, I could feel the fact that I, I'm carrying myself differently because I see myself differently. Hmm. But my challenge now is to uncover all my, cause my false beliefs drive my behavior. I've got to figure out what these false beliefs are. Like again, like the eating at night, I've, I've got a false belief that eating at night, um, will help me sleep better. But that's a, that's a false narrative that I've, I've clung to to keep this negative behavior going. But now that I know that exists, I can undo it. Like I, can, I can unlearn it and then bring in a new belief that, you know, that, that will help me sort of attain this long term. Right on, man. 100% on that. What are you most grateful for today? Final question for you.
Wow, you come at me with the big boy. Jumping. <laughs> yeah, save the best for last, man. <laughs> of course. I feel like I just got punched right in the head. Uh, that's a good question. What gratitude most, punch. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. A gratitude punch. Um, what am I most grateful for today? Um, I. Th- oh, such a great question, Tudor. Um, and I'm going to give you probably such a lousy answer. It's going to be one of these ones I'm going to want to go back. Can I come back? And, and just, <laughs> You're more than welcome to. You know what? I'm, I'm, you know what? I think I'm just, I'm grateful for where, I'm grateful for where this journey has taken me today. As I said, I think the fact that I am now really sort of, I am my own paradox. And so it's like, if I can, you know, it, the world hasn't, isn't causing my problems. The pandemic doesn't cause my problems. I am my biggest stumbling block. And so if I'm willing to look at myself that way, and I don't say that negatively, I, I see that as a positive. If I'm willing to sit down and answer the question, why do I do what I do? And then take those lessons and like, how can I share this with other people in a way that is what I believe is a different conversation that, that a lot of people are not having that could help people. That's what I'm most grateful for is that I'm willing to sort of look at myself, sort of challenge myself and then just share the things that I'm learning. So like I, uh, one of the things I committed to um, 91 days ago was I thought uh, I had a, I had an Instagram account, which I'd posted like 12 times over like the year. And I thought I'm going to post every single day and um, offer some value to people who, you know, see it, who may go, hmm, it's a different way to think about that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I'm most grateful for now is that I I am willing to sort of share what I'm learning in a way that I think is a little bit di- is a slightly different conversation out there about change that I think could help a lot of people. Right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with my buddy, Dean. You know, my goal for this interview, guys, was that you look at your own habits and you see at least one thing that you could take from this episode that you can apply to your own routine, to your own habits, and and make a positive change. One thing that you learned, let me know. Email me, tutor at danceoflife.com. I'd love to hear from you. Habits are such a an important part of our life and, you know, especially with being consistent. That's the key being consistent, you know, because sometimes even starting a habit may be easy, but just keeping it for the long haul, that is the key for success. I know this episode was full of golden nuggets, so find one that makes a difference in your life. Let me know about it. Share with your friends. If you want to stay in touch with Dean, it's thesuccessfulbody.com also, or Facebook, uh, same thing, The Successful Body. And like I said, if you guys enjoyed this episode, if you know anybody in your life that needs to hear this message about building better habits. I think we all do share it with them. And let's not forget Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets managed, you know, where your attention goes, something grows. That's another popular adage or quote. And you know, what it boils down to is this, when you put your attention on something, when you measure it, when you track it, when you mindfully approach it with intention, you will change. You can't not change. Key is just to continue to do that by being consistent, or as Dean put it, I loved it, is compounding consistency. You know, the the effect of compounding, just like compound interest. This is the key for success. So, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope it made a difference in your life today. And tune in next Tuesday for a little transformation Tuesday. Next week, I'm going to be interviewing 
Uh, Ron, he is an entrepreneur, U.S. former U.S. Marine. He's author of Tenacity. It's a memoir on how to overcome obstacles in the pursuit of your dreams and basically you know, conquer everything that life is throwing at you. Really inspiring story. I'm excited to get into it with you guys. So make sure you tune in next Friday. And until then, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.